Tim Crookle, standing for Glen Faber and Peel. Okay, Tim, no stranger to this process. You first stood, was it 1996? It was indeed, yes, 1996. I got a good kicking. I thought I was in with a chance, having done five years on the commissioners, and uh, I thought I'd stand, and uh, Mrs Hannan uh, put me back in my box, if you like, and uh, gave me a good kicking, yeah. So a lesson learnt, and I disappeared for ten years. But then you were elected in 2006, and then Minister of Community, Culture and Leisure 2011, Minister for Education and Children in 2012. 2015, you were elected to the Legislative Council, and then you withdrew from last year's LegCo elections because you were considering standing for keys again. I wonder, though, if some people would question why, when you effectively abandoned your mandate to the people of Peel in 2015, you think they should trust you with one of their votes again. Well, that, that's something I'm going to have to trust them with, and I'm, I'm trusting them with, but uh, that was a choice I made at the time. I have no problem with that, uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed my five years in Legislative Council. It just got to the stage where, sort of, I suppose, the last three or four months, things were getting, for me, things were getting worse and worse with this government, and uh, I wasn't happy seeing what was happening, and uh, I had to make that decision. So although I put my papers in to stand for the Legislative Council, uh, it was only really on the last two days when it actually became absolutely... Uh, clear to me that it was absolutely the right thing to do and to stand stand back not go for re-election if i'd have been successful i would have stood down in july maybe a little bit early june or july probably july and uh, stood because i just wasn't happy with what's been going on well, what would you say to those people though who might think that you bailed on your constituency commitments by going up to legco before the end of your mhk term that's, that's a hard question to answer but i mean at the end of the day you know i was replaced very quickly by you know whoever came in after me and uh, it's not as though they were without but one of the reasons I'm standing is because you know while I've been out in about for the last 15 months I've still been doing you know an awful lot of work helping people and that's one of the problems that I've had for the last five years you know I've been as an MLC I've been doing jobs which basically I've been told because we've not allowed constituents I've been told that by the chief minister you MLCs don't have constituents you're answerable to us but at the end of the day, you know, the people of the Isle of Man pay our wages. And if anybody comes to me with an issue, which there were lots of them, I would help them. But my issue was, why weren't they going to rail to Geoffrey? OK, well, you've, you keep saying that you were disillusioned with the government when you were an MLC. It's something you say in your 2021 manifesto. Um, I'm going to quote you here. You say by March last year, you had become disillusioned with the present government. But the reality is you were still part of of the Parliament. If things were so bad, why did you not use your position more effectively to challenge what you weren't happy about? You try, but you get to the stage where um, when you have the Chief Minister and other senior ministers coming at you saying you don't have constituents and also seeing you know, what's happening in the area, in the constituency, you know, listening to people complaining, the best thing for me to do was just to stand right back, give, that, give it that break. Um, and yeah, and then put my name forward again, which I said at the time I was contemplating on doing, and just to stand forward, you know, put my name back in the hat this time round. Okay, let's talk about some of the things that you raise in your manifesto, and actually something that you also talked about in 2011 in your manifesto. You said then you would have been happy to see the number of MHKs reduced to 20. We didn't hear much from you on that point when you were elected in 2011. No, I did raise it, as I said, a couple of times, uh, and I can't remember, Richard uh, Ronan certainly seconded me the second time round, uh, the first time round, I can't remember who it was the second time round, but uh, it's something that was raised, but it's, as it's been said, it's turkeys and Christmas, but I absolutely believe that the re- numbers in Timwald can be reduced and should be reduced, especially going forward looking at reducing government numbers across the whole of uh, government. Okay, so this time, again, you're questioning the need for 33 members of Timwald. You suggest a reduction of four. Would you be one of those members we don't actually need? 
it, it'll just be four, and we'd have to look at the you'd have to look at the boundaries again and see. I mean, to me, I've I've learned an awful lot with this election with regards to the size of the boundaries. Obviously, last time I said it was just Peel for me. Glen Faber is, and Peel is huge, and there are probably four or five uh, constituencies that are absolutely enormous, and gives a huge advantage to those, especially the Douglas-based ones and one or two others. You know, just the sheer size, geographical size of getting around to everybody is very very hard. But the idea, I suppose, is that you've got roughly the same amount of voters in yeah, each yeah, area. Yeah, sure. So if you have to drive a little bit further in some areas, then that's just the way it is, I guess. Yeah, but when some constitu- some MHKs can do the whole of their constituency on foot and others, you know, Aaron Michael, I think, is maybe the biggest or maybe middle, I'm not sure, but uh, it's enormous constituency compared to the rest. And, you know, it's, it does uh, take a lot of time. In 2011, again, in your manifesto, you supported the idea of Timwood members contributing to their own pensions. I just wonder what's going to happen with your pension if you get back in because presumably you're receiving something at the moment i am yes uh, i am so i honestly don't know i i don't know what the situation is with that i mean you know uh no i honestly don't know so whether they would uh no i, I don't know the answer so i wouldn't try and guess at the moment but i suppose from a, a personal point of view it would be a good thing to be seen to be doing the right thing in the public's view is what i'm getting at, oh I yeah suppose. for sure i mean i'm guessing it'll be frozen because i've because i've already started i'm guessing it'll be frozen and I don't contribute and it won't get any more. If I was if I was lucky enough to get in, I'm guessing, you know, I won't get any more at a later date. It'll just be what it is now and that's it. OK, let's talk about some um, Peel issues then. We're going to talk sewerage, first of all. Again, something you raised in 2011. At that point, you said, and I quote, I'm absolutely appalled that as the rest of the island moves on in the treatment of its sewage, we have been made to put up with raw sewage being pumped into the bay for the foreseeable future. This didn't need to happen. I'm as frustrated as you. And if re-elected, I will push for this to be resolved quickly. How responsible do you feel, Tim Crookle, for the fact that this matter wasn't resolved when you were in a position to help resolve it the best thing that could have happened i mean quick summary of what happened was doi wanted to move that forward in 2009 2010 for whatever reason it was not agreed to go forward we didn't agree with the commissioners at the time so you know it didn't happen then minister anderson at the time said right we'll now go ahead and we'll do ramsey and peel will go to the back of the queue which is exactly what happened but it continued to stay on the books and as and when Ramsey was done, Peel then came back to the fore in 2017 when Ramsey was uh, completed. So now we are where we are. We just need to move on and get this done now. Absolutely. Yeah, we cannot falter again. So what exactly are you promising on this issue if you're voted in on the 23rd of September? Absolutely to support it. I've got my own views as to where it should go, but I spoke to somebody from Manx Utilities the other week who I believe they've got five options at the moment. They are totally assessing those and they're costing them in all sorts and they're going to come forward in October with what they think is favourite and then hopefully in February, touch wood, we'll have somewhere to move on to. Uh, I've got two sites, one of which is my favourite, which would be the fields behind the power station, but I'm, and I'm, and it is a pure guess now, it'll be either that one or Glen Faber House again, I think. It's interesting. I mean, as you say, lots of different favourites, if you like. How will you ensure the best decision is made, regardless of who doesn't like it? It's just got to be the decision. I mean, taken on the evidence that will be given from Manx Utilities, and you know, we'll just see what's best. For me personally, as I said, ground on those fields, it's flat, it's, an open, it's a clean site, it's closer to the, to the promenade where all the sewage is collected, so you haven't got to pump anything uphill. It's, um, it's in Peel. And it's, you know, it's already zoned for light industrial use. Yes, it's in private ownership, but uh, I would like to think that we can sort that could be sorted out very quickly.
So are you promising people on the doorstep that by the time the next election comes round, that's going to be sorted? Clean water in Peel Bay? It absolutely has to be. And I would promise everybody, I would try 100%. But, you know, you know never say never. I mean, Ray and Jeffrey have been saying it's nearly there. We're nearly there. We're not nearly there yet. We're still a long way away. And same with the silt. We're a long way away yet from sorting those issues. You can't promise. But I, me personally, I've said to people on the door, uh, by 2040, 2024, sorry, we would love to see this done. You know, three three years from now, it should be done and running and we should have no sewage being pumped out into the bay. OK, let's look at your past political career. We mentioned you were education minister appointed to that role in 2012. One of the controversial items you had to deal with at that point was charging students for their higher education. In your 2011 manifesto, you said it's imperative students be afforded every opportunity to attend college or university with the help of government funding. Do you think maybe it could be seen that you somehow went back on that when you became minister? No, I mean, I wasn't at that time in 2011. I wasn't aware that in, a year later I was going to become minister of education. Um, circumstances dictated decisions had to be made. Um, Peter Cowan, who'd been the minister before, had taken one decision, which to everybody else seemed to be the wrong decision and was one of the reasons why he probably lost his job uh, with regards to nurseries. Um, so it was a decision that had to be made with regards to finances. Um, this raises an issue, though, doesn't it? That it's all very well promising and pledging things in a manifesto, but when it comes to the reality of what needs to be done day to day, that can be very different and tough decisions need to be made. Absolutely. I mean, you, we just don't know what's around the corner. Look what's happened in these last five years, the last two years with COVID. I mean, who saw that one coming? So, And that's cost governments you know, a quarter of a billion pounds to put right. Nobody sees it coming, so you just have to deal with it as it arrives on your doorstep. At that time of your appointment, you mentioned uh, Peter Caron, the previous minister, had been sacked. It was suggested that you would be the person to steer the department into calmer waters. I have to ask you if you were maybe just seen as a government yes man, someone who would effectively just do as they were told. No, I don't think so. In, uh, in the Department of Education we're talking about, absolutely not. I think I had a four good years there where I had a good relationship uh, with the head teachers, with the unions, uh, with the department. Um, and I, I was out and about around the schools, and I think I had a good, a very good relationship. Um, things deteriorated later, but, um, you know, I think as far as I'm concerned, four years of education in my time, we did a lot of work up at the University of College, uh, UCM. Uh, so now I think it's, uh, it was a good four years. Well, in your 2011 manifesto, again, you said we have too many education advisors. I believe that by cutting these middle management jobs, we can protect our excellent frontline teaching staff. What exactly did you do about that when you were in a position to do so? Uh, we lost a few, but not an awful lot, I have to say. And again, it's probably a bit of what, one of those things that you do, you say, uh, and then when you do find out what's needed to, to run the the, the, uh, the department, uh, you have to stand back and adjust and sort of say, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. It's, uh, yeah, it's... You think you know better before well, I thought you knew better. I knew better beforehand, but you just got to hold your hands up when when it's all explained to you and what the department does. It's uh, it makes sense in some respects. So that brings us to the point that it's so easy, isn't it, to snipe from the outside in the same way that you're saying this past government, you've become completely disillusioned with it, but you haven't actually been part of it. You don't know what they've had to deal with on a day to day basis. So perhaps it's just because you don't have the sort of knowledge that they have at their fingertips. Just to an extent, but having been in Timwall for three and a half years of this government, you know, and seeing what was going on, I mean, I can play, I can say there's been very poor man management from the top down. You, you had the chief minister who didn't look after his ministers in some respects. You know, when things went wrong. Have you got proof of that? Sorry? Have you got well, proof I'm, of I'm that? Well, I'm just going to use Graham Cregeen as an example. You know, Graham, as Minister for Education, who took over for me, you know, they got to a situation where there was an impasse between Graham 
and the unions and what was going on in the department. Now, Howard should have seen that coming and it got to a stage where he should have moved him. And I'm not saying Graham was at fault by any stretch, but at some stage, somebody's got to say, this is not going to work and somebody needs to be moved. And Howard should have uh, done something about it. And I would say amongst departments, chief exec uh, ministers lost quite a lot of members who didn't know what was going on and just said, we're not, you know, we're not being involved here at all. And we just went. Departments and statutory authorities lost quite a lot of members in the last five years who just said, we're going because we're not involved here and we're not being told what's going on. That says loads to me about this last government. During your time as Education Minister, I just want to pick up on one other thing. The decision was made to essentially do away with the idea of nurture in schools. And I wonder if you'd agree with me that it's fair to say now schools could be seeing the negative impact of that decision, especially after the COVID crisis. Nurture in schools seems to be needed more than it ever was for certain pupils. And, and I just again wonder if this means that in your position as minister you saw maybe the cost of everything but the value of nothing um it's probably easier to say that than it was at the time but i mean that's certainly the way it looks i, I was talking to a head teacher yesterday from primary schools and she was just explaining to me how difficult things are uh and that probably may well be on the back of that those decisions made then um and if that's the case you know i have to accept that why isn't education mentioned at all in your 2021 manifesto I think education at the moment is actually in quite a good place. I think, um, and by that I mean things are starting to lighten up a bit. I think, you know, there are far more education, absolutely, don't get me wrong, as you know, having spent four years there, is one of the main um, springboards for the island. Education, health, uh, crime, if we haven't got a good uh, infrastructure involving those, then, you know, but I believe that education is in a good place at the moment. And Yes, it could be better, but I think there are things happening there and it is going to get better. But I think you know, education is not some of the, one of the most important things, if you like, at the moment. Always important, of course, but not the most important at the moment. In your current manifesto, you say this government has been guilty of bad management, vastly overspending and delivering projects late. Just want to take you back to uh, just after the general election in 2011. You were first made Community Culture and Leisure Minister, as it was then, in Alan Bell's administration. And one of the first things you were charged with was a vote to Timwald for a new diesel engine. Um, this was second hand. I think it cost uh, 420,000. Initial suggestion was 320, I think. Um, and at the time it was said this was going to be half the price of a brand new one. Bought in 2013 has since then been dubbed the cabbage because of the number of times it's been out of service. I think it's well over 1,100 days. I guess I'm, what I'm bringing this back to is what does that say about your own financial planning and vision? Well, we have to take the advice of those you know, that work for the departments. Ian Longworth, as was at the time, was in charge of this and he you know, had looked at several options that was available. Uh, the department was at one stage going to spend a lot more money on a brand new diesel, which, you know, and the case had been put forward as to why we needed it for looking after the fires on the lines and doing extra work and things. Ian came along with this idea. It was looked at, and at the time it was said to be a good idea. Absolutely, we found out afterwards that, you know, it went pear shaped, and for whatever reason, it's needed multiples of uh, repairs and things. But uh, yeah, it was about, well, what seemed like a good decision at the time, you know, has turned out to be. A cabbage, but uh, you know, hopefully it's well. Hopefully it's working at the moment. What's sure that saying? One. You buy cheap, you buy twice. Quite possibly, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. How then can you justify criticising this government for bad management and vastly overspending again when you haven't been directly involved and, and seen what's gone on behind the scenes? I say, having been in Timor for three and a half years, you see some of what goes on behind the scenes. But at the end of the day, 
I'm also a taxpayer. I'm also somebody who's very wary of what's, you know, what's happening in my money. And if when Minister Harmer stood in front of Timbald and said about Liverpool Ferry Terminal, you know, this is going to st it started off at about 25 to 30 million pounds and now we're up to 38 and they've just been back to July Timbald for another 13.8 million pounds to take it well over 50. You know, that I believe was a decision that Timbald members, if they'd have known at the time, would not have agreed to. You know, that is, it just looks like we're being suckered in and we're paying for a lot of other people's work in uh, Liverpool, you know, we'll never know about it. That's the way it appears. I'm not saying it is that way, but it's certainly the way it appears. But if somebody had said at the time, for a new ferry terminal, we're going to pay 50 million plus, I think a lot of members would have said no. Just want to consider another appeal issue quickly. That has to be the amount of traffic on the roads. I know it's something that you, you do raise in your manifesto. Uh, the inability as well, I suppose, to reach a generally agreed conclusion on the future of Michael Street. What are your pledges on these sort of issues for Peel? Parking is a huge issue. Um, I was talking to a few people this morning about it down around the centre of town. Um, you know, and again, we're going to have some works done on the quay side where they put the pipe down last year. DOI this year, this year is supposed to be starting in September. Going to come down and refurbish the quay uh, on East Keys there. Yeah, we're going to lose some parking there. It's going to get worse. It's not getting better. We absolutely need to have a decision made about you know extra parking somewhere. And you know, we're probably looking at multi-storey seems to be the only answer because there isn't any more space. Any That's, ideas where that might go? Well, it has to be Douglas Street, I would imagine, or on top of the Craig Mallon car park. But you know, Craig Mallon car park is you know it's got a covenant on it, and it belongs to the commissioners, and it's outside of people's comfort zone of where they want to walk. It's fine for the promenade, but people who want to go shopping, you know, want to drive through. So it's literally it would have to be Douglas Street car park. But then you're taking more vehicles into the town centre and congesting it. So it needs looking at. But that would be, you know most people's answer to, as to where it should be whether it's the right one or not I don't know but we certainly need more parking spaces Something else people want more of is doctor's appointments um, naturally you were very pleased back in 2011 when the new then the new medical centre replacing the old one on Derby Road was built waiting times for appointments especially given what GPs have had to contend with over the coronavirus pandemic have reached what some people are saying um, are unacceptable highs what as an MHK for Glen Faber and Peel would you promise about that? I've spoken to staff that work up at the doctor's surgery and you know the doctors are doing we're told the best they can under the circumstances so somebody has got to have a look at it from the from the outside and look at the holistic picture you know we've got what is basically a small town of 80,000 people here on 85,000 people here on the island with numerous doctor's surgeries around we shouldn't be having waiting lists of three four weeks at all you know I'm not qualified enough I'm not in touch with it enough at the moment to know those facts and figures but uh, we should not have people waiting four weeks to get into the, you know and when they're getting told that it's three to four weeks you know they're then going up to Mandoc or meds or you know up to a and e you know we shouldn't be ha having that happen at all and is this an, an issue that's been raised on the doorstep absolutely with you? yeah 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 regularly regularly yeah it's a big issue yeah and i'm guessing it's not just peel it's other places as well but certainly in peel it's a big issue yeah even though sorry even though we go to put the new extension on the doctors and all sorts of things doesn't make any difference if it takes you four weeks to get in through the door. You mentioned this uh, towards the beginning of this interview. Last time you were in Keys, you were MHK of Peel. Now it is Glen Faber and Peel. And I wonder what difference you think that will make if you are elected. Uh, I've had it raised quite a lot on the doorstep. It's uh, people have said that you know they're a bit wary about you know if you had two MHKs from Peel, would Glen Faber be forgotten? Absolutely not. You know I've said them. You know I've got a lot of family and friends out in in the constituency. Uh, you know. I love it. We're always out walking and that, you know, and I'm doing my parish walk training and stuff. And but absolutely not. Yeah, you know, I'm out and about all the time, and uh, I've got those contacts out there. 
and I know all the commissioners in uh, in the areas and I'm happy to work you know look forward to working with those if possible who you know not what you know then is it no not at all but I'm just saying that I know them and you know I would love to be able to work with them but uh, you know it's uh, I've got to know an awful lot of people while out canvassing as well so it's uh, it's good I would not let them down so then why should the people of Glenfaber and Peel trust you with one of their votes on election day because I've got the experience and the energy, the enthusiasm, and absolutely, you know, the offer of help um, for the people of Peel and Glen Faber. Um, I've done 15 years in Timwald. I can hit the ground running, and people, you know, some people will hold that against me. As you said, you know, I walked away from it, but I absolutely would say, you know, 100% effort. I'm always accessible. I'm always out and about. You know, you see me regularly and your family and stuff. I'm out twice a day walking, you know, no matter what time of day or night it is, and. Uh, I've just got a lot of experience and I just want to help and pull Peel and Glenn Faber back together again after the last five years.